0: Well, again, <laughs> thank you for putting up with that, and I uh, hope you got to meet someone new this morning. Uh, we, are, we love that you're here with us and uh, worshiping with us and growing in God's Word together. Uh, we're continuing our series, we took a bit of a hiatus, uh, series You, Me, and Peace, How to Put Relationships Back into One Peace. And in February, we looked at four steps to peace, just do a little bit of review for you. Uh, Step one is to glorify God. Most people expect broken relationships to stay broken, even in the church, and sometimes especially in a church. But because of the gospel, as Christians, we have the power, we have this power in the gospel to bring glory to God where it's least expected. Uh, step two is to get the log out. Get the log out of my own eye first, before getting the speck out of my brother's eye. Um, and the question we asked was, how can I take my share of responsibility for this conflict? Even if I'm responsible for just the 5%, but we're called as Christians to get the log out of our eye first. Step three, gently restore. After getting the log out, how can I serve my brother or sister by helping them take their share of responsibility for this conflict? It's often a tricky one, and we talked at length about that. Finally, step four, go and be reconciled. The fourth G to not miss our moment, to cap off peacemaking by verbally extending forgiveness. Um, And you can get, by the way, a great summary of this. You can either go online and listen to the uh, sermons. We also have a great summary of this in the back with a bunch of colorful brochures with pictures and charts and things. So uh, you can enjoy that on your way out if you want to grab one of these to help remind you when things get tense uh, of what God calls us to do. Over the next few weeks, having gone through these steps to peace, we're going to look at peacemaking in the particulars. Peacemaking in particular, real life, often complex relationships. So we're going to do peacemaking with children, peacemaking in the workplace, and this morning we're going to look at peacemaking with the opposite gender. Not only, by the way, in marriage, but we're going to try to seek to apply as much as possible this morning to uh, dating and friendships also with the opposite gender. So let's, let's pray together and ask for God to help us and give us wisdom here. Um, father, we acknowledge that uh, you are the father of all wisdom. Jesus, who has existed before time began, is called the wisdom of God. And so we believe that through your word, Lord, and through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we can have great wisdom. How to navigate... Uh, particularly complex relationships. Uh, So we ask for your help this morning with that. Uh, Please speak through me, and uh, may they be your words and not mine. Um, And please speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, a website that I like had some very good thoughts on understanding opposite genders. And I added a couple of my own thoughts to this. So (laughs) buckle in and enjoy. First, what men really mean. All right. When men say that's a really good movie, what they really mean is it's got guns, knives, fast cars, and Megan Fox. All right, when they say it's a good movie, right? Megan Fox is that? Uh, I was going to say Meg Ryan, but that feels outdated. Uh, I don't know. When men say uh, yeah, that's cool, they really mean are you still talking? All right, typically. Come on, guys, don't take yourself seriously. All right, when men say, don't worry, it's just a cut, I'll be fine, what they really mean is, (laughs) I actually severed a limb, but will bleed to death before I admit that I'm hurt. (laughs) And finally, men, will you marry me? Really means, both my roommates have moved out, (laughs) I can't find the washer and dryer, and there's no more peanut butter. So... Here comes the dangerous part, though. Uh, I, I, I screen these, of course, with my wife. Um, I'm going to say she's told me these. Let's just say that. Uh, <laughs> what women really mean? There are less of these. <laughs> well, honey, what are you in the mood to do? really means, if what I want to do isn't painfully obvious by now, I'm relegating you to the status of a chimpanzee. <laughs> the woman often says... Uh, just, just do what you want. It really means you'll pay for this later. <laughs> Fine, I'll give you one more. Uh, <laughs> it says, I'm not freaking out. really means I'm totally freaking out because it's the only way you'll hear me over the Talking Meerkats YouTube video that you're playing over and over again. Now, I, I need to say, i got to say with all these, uh, the examples you agreed with are ones that I came up with, and the ones you're offended by are from the website. All right, so just explain. <laughs> but also, look, if, if you're uh, offended, it's likely a, out of a good and right impulse. The impulse being that men and women are very much the same. Very much the same. We are told in Genesis 1 that God created human beings in his own image. Male and female he created them, Genesis 1.27. The Bible begins its description of human beings by going out of its way to point out both being made in God's image. Woman is created out of a rib of man to show that they are of the same substance. And this idea of equality, this idea of worth, equal worth is furthered in the New Testament. Through Jesus Christ, Galatians 3.28, right at the beginning of the service, there's no extra favor, no extra merit or distinction between male and female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus, all equally of worth and of value. Now the examples that you enjoyed, made you chuckle, what have you, um, that's also a good and right impulse because God has created men and women with also significant differences. And you're noticing that. I mean, to help really serve one another and glorify God with those differences. Such differences reflect the very person of God, the Trinity. We have a Trinitarian, a three-person God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, different in person and in function, same in worth, same in Godness. Existing together, glorifying one another. And what I'd like to do this morning is ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the differences he created, he created between man and woman, as expressed by Genesis 2. Hear me on that. The differences between man and woman is expressed not by me, not by pop psychology, but by Genesis 2. And then I'm going to suggest some practical ways we can appreciate and use these differences to serve one another and glorify God in peacemaking, in the midst of conflict. All right, so let's look at this together. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. I don't even need to give you the page number, I don't think. You should hopefully be able to find Genesis 2. <laughs> it's in the beginning. Genesis literally means in the beginning. So Genesis 2, look at the very front of the Bible, um, And we're going to look at verses 4 through 25 together. This is God's word. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to, the, uh, to water the garden, and there divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellum and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. That would be like Egypt. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flowed east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Just a brief pause here. I want to give you context. Genesis opens with what seems to be two different accounts of creation. All right, so you read it, you're kind of like, well, what's going on? Are there two different worlds here? One of the first great theologians and thinkers or Christian, uh, Augustine, Augustine said the first chapter of Genesis is sort of like creation in the mind of a big God, the mind of God. And the second chapter of Genesis is like creation in time and space. And that's what we're looking at here. So Genesis 1 is like creation viewed from the Hubble telescope. And Genesis 2 zooms in on ground level, focusing on human beings as the crown of creation. All right, so moving on here, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So again, we have this zooming in here. The Bible gives us onto this ground level focusing on man for a little bit as the crown of God's creation. And so, out of man we see create a helper fit to complement him. The word fit here, to describe a helper, literally can mean opposite. Opposite in the Hebrew. So, this passage, I think, can give us insight into the question, how do we appreciate and take advantage of the oppositeness of the genders to bring peace in the? into conflict, to bring Jesus' peace where there's strife. So what I'm going to do this morning is just offer some suggestions, hopefully some wisdom. Uh, I'm going to address ladies and then men and then men again and then ladies. We'll make a, a, a lady sandwich, all right, with the men suffering in the middle. <laughs> okay, here we go. So first, ladies, we men... Do not mind you exercising godly influence over us. So the first thing, we men do not mind you exercising godly influence over us. That's the reality we see going on here from woman's creation. Look at that in verses 22 through 23 here. The red of the Lord, God had taken from the man. He made into a woman. He brought her to the man. Can you see this? It's almost like a wedding ceremony. That's what's envisioned here. God, the Father, brings her down an aisle to this man. The the face we imagine in a wedding ceremony that a man is supposed to have. Of course, he's so nervous. He's like, ah, smile. But the joy (laughs) that we typically feel as men, seeing our bride come down the aisle, that's like a microcosm of what this must have been like without sin in the world yet. And then he, so he brings her to the man. The man says to her, This at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She is to be called woman. She's taken out of man. For the first time in human history, a human being creates and utters poetry. This is what we have here. Rhyming in the Hebrew with some cadence. Poetry. He's moved to poetry or to song for the first time. When? When God takes part of a man and makes this creature that is even more beautiful than him. And she, she has moved, she has influenced him to create, to do something that's never been done before. And we know this from life that women are just beautiful, just in general. I mean, like, of course, I say my, my wife is absolutely the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And it, but women in general, too, are just beautiful. I mean, men, we're just, we're kind of lumpy, you know. I mean, I like, got hairy, facial scars, I like got the broken nose, you know, from an injury in university and these sorts of things. We're just kind of. You know, we're kind of like some, some, you know, like Frankenstein's, just together. You know, (laughs) women move with beauty, with grace, and we like that. We like that you are not like us. That's why God created men to be so visual. But it's not just the physical; it's so much more. A woman named Susan Hale, uh, who was a key advocate for making Thanksgiving an official United States holiday, she wrote "Mary Had a Little Lamb," and she published this uh, amazing. Uh, women's history, a woman's record, sketches of all distinguished women from creation to AD 1850. She lived a long time ago. But, but what, by the way, what a, what a set of accomplishments. She brought Thanksgiving as an official holiday to the United States, which as an American, I appreciate greatly. All right, I love turkey. I love filling myself full of goodness and food and then sleeping. Um, it's just wonderful. And uh, I, I, you know, here it's a work day. It's okay. She wrote, Mary Had a Little Lamb. I mean, what a song, right? I mean, like, what kid doesn't know that song? And she wrote this amazing book. Helped honor uh, women who made a significant impact on history. Anyway, she put it this way, about how a woman moves a man. Woman was not created to satisfy man's desires. I love this. But to refine his human affections and elevate his moral feelings. Yes, I love that about My wife and about about women in general. Just so I always feel like my wife Katie, she makes me a better person. So the woman, the question is not if you will move a man, but how you will move a man. Let me give you two examples. One will be fun. It's a scene from 2002 movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I don't really need to introduce it. You can just watch it. Enjoy. Pay attention to how. A woman moves a man in this scenario here. This course, it's a seminar. It's all about computers and tourism. And there are all the latest applications and programs, and I could apply it here, Thea. And your business would double, like it would triple, and you could be with Theo more, and you could take a vacation. Like I could book it for you. But Theo, would you hire me? Of course. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. oh, my God. Okay. Okay. What what you I'm sorry. Well, mine. Oh, my God. One oh, percent. my God. We must let Costa think this was his idea. All right. That he came up with. All right. Nah, now he's going to figure don't it out. You, well, okay, I know what to do. You don't know what to do. You talk, talk, talk. Only do you I, want, my yes, I I want tell to tell me help. what to say? But don't tell me what to say. Perfect. That's So, voila. How is business? Oh, war to me. Business is bad. What's the matter? What's happened? You need money? No, no, no. What she means is that with the two businesses, she suffers. She suffers? She suffers. She has to be at the travel agency alone all day because everybody else needs to be working at the big dry cleaning store. That's right. I make Taki go to the dry cleaner store, and now I have no time with him. So, send Angelo or Nikki to the travel agency, you'll be with Taki at the dry cleaner. That would be good. That, that would be no good. no good. No good. No good. No good. Because um, n- neither Angelo or Nikki know how to use the computer. And that's why that no work. Hmm. Ah, I have you answer. <laughs> uh, Tula will go to the travel agency and you send Nikki here to work for us oh, I, I can't believe that <laughs> 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 a man? yes, oh, oh, see, yes so smart, smart. <laughs> Gus Gus oh Gus. <laughs> So, i to just immediately make the connection here, because that point is painfully obvious. The connecting point between a modern secular movie and an incident in the Bible 3,000 years ago, which I'm going to mention here in a second, is appealing to a man's need for respect. Or you might also call it pride, as in this case. It um, has a humorous example, but for us men, respect does help. Uh, Well, I'm going to look at a passage real quick. You can look at it with me if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 25. Uh, We're going to just turn over there real quick. Um, But it's going to be up on the screen here as well. I'll set up the context here. Uh, David, who's not yet a king in Jewish history, but but he has an army. He's traveling along, and he's helped this man's uh, servants. He's helped them. He's fed them. He's going to approach this man's house, this man named Nabal, and so he asks, you know, can we come, can we stay with you, can we feast with you? Well, when he sends his emissaries to ask this question, Nabal insults his emissaries. I mean, calls them names, says, no way, and sends them back. Well, David is ticked off. And in that culture, the way you settle to fight a conflict was you go and you kill the household. So um, that was about to happen, except for Nabal's wife, Abigail, plays the role of peacemaker. Watch what she does here. 1 Samuel 25, starting in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and she got down from the donkey and she fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. In other words, blame me. Please let your servant speak in your ears. Hear the words of your servant. Let Let me talk. Let me explain something. Please listen before you kill everyone. Let not my lord, this is David, regard this worthless fellow Nabal. For as his name, so is he. Nabal is his name. Nabal means uh, fool. So there you go. That's his name. By the way, who would name their kid that? That's another story. But, uh, But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent, Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this present that your servant has brought, she brought him a lot of food, uh, 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep, lots of food, brought to my Lord be given uh, to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound on the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince of Israel, my Lord shall have no cause for grief or pangs of conscience. In other words, you won't feel guilty about killing all these people later. For having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Remember her. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you, for you have kept me this day from blood guilt, from avenging myself with my own hand. Abigail teaches us here, I think, four ways that, ladies, you can help us men be better peacemakers in the midst of conflict. David's about to, to, to kill. and He recognizes, man, you... God has used you to save me from a big mistake. Four ways she does this. One, she offers the gift of food. All right, so uh, that's not really an important way. But I just wanted to point it out because <laughs> it's there. And I want it's a cheap appeal for a good dinner later. So, <laughs> uh, Number two, <laughs> terrible. Affirm, it would help. Please, ladies, affirm our moral character or at least our potential, moral potential. Um, she points out, look, David, you're not lightenable. You're above that kind of behavior. It helps us, ladies, for you to affirm that in us. It helps us be better peacemakers. Helps us rise up to that occasion. Number three, ask us to consider what the other person's experiencing. She asks him to listen, and she makes the point, look, I didn't see the young men that you sent. Please understand from my point of view how this is going to affect my life. I didn't see the men. I I, I didn't have a chance to stop them and say, we don't don't support this. Ask us to consider what the other person is experiencing in the midst of conflict. Also, appeal to God's big plans for us and to not let conflict distract us from those plans. See what she does here? She says, look, God has a great plan for you. You're going to be prince of Israel God's going to use you, and, and, and he's going to use you mightily. But let him do so in a way that when you become king, when he fulfills his plan, you won't have any guilt on your conscience. You won't have any reason for sorrow because of the vengeance you took, that you trusted him. Appeal to God's big plans for us as men. That, that's important. It helps us. So men who aren't married, I want to encourage you, find a trustworthy female friend who can help you through a conflict, who can encourage you. Married men, talk about conflict with your wives. Allow them to move you. I can tell you, Katie affects me as a pastor shepherding. She affects me as an elder, uh, for help with our elder team and elder decisions. She moves me all the time. As a teacher, I I changed a number of things in my sermon based on her suggestions today. And finally, she moves me as a man in conflict with a fellow human being. I need that. Now, in these cases when she encourages me and loves me in this way, I'm not always quick to say, Katie, you are so right. Sometimes I fight it. But she leaves it with me, lets it settle, and by the next day, she's won me over nine times out of ten. That's the first thing, that's the longest thing we'll talk about there. Women, we we want you to exercise godly influence over us. Number two, men, take care to sensitively communicate to your female friend or spouse in the midst of peacemaking. We read in verse 20, but for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. The implication here is that none of these beasts will do. Did you notice, talked about the helper fit for him, then the author purposely puts in the note about the beast. He names all these beasts and then repeats the refrain, there's not a helper fit for him. These beasts won't do. It's not the same. Beasts are insensitive and therefore inhuman. That's why he says in verse 23, isn't that a great phrase? At last. Here she is. At last. Here's a thoughtful, sensitive person. The New Testament, the apostle Peter says this. for husbands, directed to husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives, here we go, in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The idea here is not weakness in terms of mentally and all that. It, does, it refers primarily, primarily to, to a weaker physically, but also a sensitivity, uh, it's not a bad term, it's a, a sensitivity in spirit. And, and again, we men like this about the about ladies so so we have to take care to live in an understanding way so men how do you gently restore with a female that's a third step to peace an important step more than the end result women want to be taken care of and valued during the entire peacemaking process guys we focus on the end result because to us conflict it's a task Right? It's work. As you'll see in a little bit, God created us for this kind of work. So sometimes we fight, men, sometimes we make even gestures. But if sin is admitted and reconciliation is obtained, it's all gravy. It's all good. We've got to remember, though, man, our, our lady friends are more likely to remember, to mull over the hard words that are said in the process. So, guys, practice sensitivity. Practice sensitivity in the process. One of some ways we can do this, we talked about them before, previous weeks, avoid making generalized, broad statements. Instead, use words like, I feel, refrain from saying things like, you always, plan for a follow-up. Ladies want to chew on what is said over and over. Katie and I were talking about this the other night that after she and I have people over to our house, or we go out with folks, she likes to review highlights of the conversation. Right? How did this go? What, what you, did I say too much? What, what, what about here? I think I made a maybe offensive comment. Review, you know, let her chew on things and come back to her. Ask, plan for a follow-up conversation in the midst of conflict, and when relevant, be sure to verbalize forgiveness. Not just assume she knows you forgive her because you bought her the gift she wanted or took her out to the restaurant she wanted. Actually verbalize forgiveness. are some ways we can practice sensitivity in the process of peacemaking and honor women in that way. Uh, third thing, men, take the initiative with peacemaking whenever possible. Take the initiative with peacemaking whenever possible and work hard at it always. Men, Most of us find great worth worth in projects. We both start and finish. Find great worth in that. That's because we were created to work and initiate excellent work that brings glory to God. Created to work. Now, please don't rush to conclusions. I'm not saying that women don't work or shouldn't work or anything like that. Only that it's a distinctive role here in Genesis given to man upon his creation. Look at that in verse 15. The Lord God took the man... Put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. If you flip over to chapter 3 of Genesis, after man and woman decided to follow their own advice, their own way, be their own gods, the curse extended to, to the women has to do with helping and nurturing life. While the curse for man goes like this, very much tied to work. Because you have listened, Adam, to the voice of your wife have eaten the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat. Cursed is the ground. Remember the ground he was supposed to work. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. So when you get frustrated at work, why does that happen? Because of Genesis 3. God said it would. We, we Men very much find a lot of their identity in work. We're created that way. One of the tragic results of the fall he so said, we'll find frustration with work. In his excellent, and very readable work on um, gender differences, a book called Gender Questions, John Benton recalls an experiment featured on uh, the BBC, BBC Horizon TV program he once saw. He mentioned how psychologists were told, uh, or excuse me, told children they were going to have a test. Unbeknownst to the children, the test was done in the waiting room while the children were waiting for the examination. Left in the room were toy bricks. Toy bricks. The psychologist noted a very distinct difference with how the children spent their waiting time. The boys talked together particularly about the task. What are we going to do about these bricks, right? Like, how are we going to build them? Let's build them this way. No, let's build them this way. Let's make a tower, and then we'll crush it down, right? And uh, if you have children, you're used to this. I have two boys, the girls were quite different in their approach. Their conversation was more about each other. They got to the task, but it took a little more time. And even when they did, the talk sit around, like, how many dollies do you have at home? Like, what's your room like? What do you like to play with? Which is true to a sensitive helper. They wanted to get to know each other. Men like to just get to the task to work. So we're created to work. We're also created to take initiative, man. And we see this here as well in three ways. One, man was made first, not better, not better, just first. The New Testament authors find this fact important enough to use it. Use it on occasions like First Timothy 2:13. It's an important thing that man was made first. Number two, Adam takes the initiative to both name the animals and his wife. Third thing is, it's the man. Notice who is called to leave, to take initiative to leave his father and mother, and cleave unto his wife. It's not, by the way, that the father and, and you know the the mother and father-in-law are there too. Like they come along. Like I've heard people use that before. Oh yeah, the man leaves his family, and the mother-in-law, and the father-in-law come along. No, that's not it. The idea here is the expectation is the woman will respond likewise after he has taken the initiative to leave. So men, Jesus himself says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is a worthy work, men, that requires your initiative. Blessed are the peacemakers, they're going to be called sons of God. What a worthy work that is, that requires your initiative. Men, recognize you will be more invested in peacemaking and a peacemaking work if you're the first one to ask, how can God be glorified in this situation? if you're the first one to to examine yourself and initiate getting the log out of your own eye, you're going to be more invested. So take advantage of that difference. Men, serve your female friend or spouse by taking the initiative to speak up about peacemaking principles when they describe a conflict to you. When it's a different conflict that doesn't involve you, you were created to help initiate. Let's talk about that. How can we glorify God here? Created to initiate such a worthy work? Ladies, this does not mean to stay silent. i just be a doormat, like I was going let the man go. But allow your man to take initiative whenever possible. You can do this by humbly setting him up. These are some suggestions Katie and I talked about last night, Like for instance, uh, Jake, Sam, I don't know, make up your husband's name. This is hard, and I can't pretend it doesn't really hurt. How in the world are we going to glorify God in this situation? Help your man. Set him up. We, we, we don't mind. We're not always thinking straight. So uh, set us up. Appeal to him. Man, I need you to lead us to make this right. Appeal to him. Take initiative. Men tend to respond to responsibility. Not to nagging to guilt or to blame, but to the challenge of responsibility. Encourage us with that, ladies, please. Fourth thing, how we can use our differences to glorify God and serve one another. Ladies, use men's emotional distance when relational emotions run fast and furious. Use a man's rela- uh, emotional distance. I know that's a complaint a lot of times about men, but you can actually use it. Let me give you a situation. You're on the way home from a birthday party or event. I mean, you won't believe you know, I won't believe what that person said to me. Or, or, you know, I can't believe she barely spoke with me after I helped her with that. You know, and you just get frustrated, and things happen over and over again, and are admittedly frustrating. The sinful way of responding men is to roll our eyes, silently stare at the road ahead, right? Hoping she'll drop it, or say, worse, just get over it. Right? <laughs> That's a sinful way of serving our female friends or spouses. It's often a negative way. Uh, Satan uses man's sense of level-headed emotional distance and compartmentalization. Ladies, take advantage of the level-headed emotional distance and compartmentalization of men that sometimes frustrates us but can be used for good. When we go through step three, gently restore, we ask the question, when do you move on and, and confront someone in private? Talk to someone in private. Men are in a strategic position to help their female friend or spouse to clearly and dispassionately ask The kinds of questions we need to, to know, is it time for me to confront someone? Questions like, do you know that person has something against you? You know, is their sin blatantly dishonoring God? Uh, Is it hurting other people? Is the the offender hurting his or herself? Oftentimes in those situations, you can rely on the fact that a man isn't responding emotionally by using it to help you. Guys, use your emotional distance to love your sister by gently speaking truth. wife was saying to me uh, of even pre-marriage, you know, guys, we underestimate how much females appreciate how you might care enough to speak truth into a situation. Without the sarcasm, you know, without the ha-ha-ha, let's make light of the situation, but just lovingly speaking truth. So, I just want to encourage you guys. Appreciate, take advantage of the differences our God has created in the opposite gender to serve one another and bring the peace of Jesus into relationships. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your wisdom and in your power and in your great and infinite and sovereign plan, you decided to create human beings in these two different ways, complementary, compatible Equal worth, value, roles and differences of equal worth and value, but different, but very different. Father, we can appreciate and glorify you for these differences. But for the purposes this morning, Lord, give us wisdom. I pray you've given us wisdom before and I think you have. Continue to give us wisdom and how we can really take advantage of these differences. We often see these differences as negative As men, we often gripe about certain things. As when we often complain and wonder about certain things. But these can actually be, these differences can be used to glorify God and to serve one another. So help us do that this week. Help us even take one of these bits of suggestions or strategies to use differences in our relationships with the opposite gender. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.